Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hi, I'm Karen Berardo, Executive Vice President of Emerging Markets for M&W Group. If you're looking for the best info and tips on how to develop and sell solar in Latin America, look no further. Welcome to Suncast with my friend, Nico Johnson. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and actions shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Well, hey there. Remember me? It's Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. And thank you for your patience during this protracted absence, and Happy New Year. It's the first podcast of the new year, and I'm thrilled to be sharing it with you in mere moments. I hope you had a good break. I did. I've been getting these podcasts ready for you, and I am so looking forward to sharing them with you over the course of another year. Well, this is an oldie, but a goodie. Last year, I had the opportunity to sit down with my good friend, Matthew, because I wanted to know more about the world of professional training for the solar industry. And nobody knows more about that than the organization that Matthew works for. Today on Suncast, you'll meet Matthew Harris of Solar Energy International, or SEI, as most of us in the industry call it. SEI has been around for 25 years. Perhaps that's longer than you've been alive. I don't know. But I do know that Matthew and the folks at SEI know more about training than just about anybody out there. And as SEI's Latin America program manager, Matt has more than a few thoughts about the state of the solar industry in Mexico, Chile, and well, just about anywhere in Latin America. Thanks again for taking the time to be here. Enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with Matthew Harris. We have Matthew Harris on the show today. Matthew is the program manager for Solar Energy International's Spanish Solar Training Program. Matthew's been with SEI for 10 whole years, involved in many aspects of SEI's mission for providing industry-leading training and expertise in renewable energy to empower people, communities, and businesses worldwide. Matthew's led the development of the Spanish training program for the last four years with a focus in Latin America, now boasting over a thousand students and counting. I've had the great pleasure of watching this program come to fruition, and it is my great pleasure, pleasure, pleasure to have my friend Matthew on the show. Welcome to Suncast, brother. Thank you, Nico. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you, my precious. <laughs> my precious. <laughs> yes. Hey, so... <laughs> As many people know, when I have guests on the show, at least the first these first episodes, uh, all of you guys are my friends. Uh, so it's it's always like a lot of fun to have you on the show. But I'd never uh, you should know uh, listening to this show that I never know what's going to come in uh, across on the other side of the mic, and I try not to edit too uh, 
too heavily so that people can get a feel for what your personality is like. And if you say, um, too much, it's going to come through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good. Good to keep it real, you know? Indeed. Well, listen, before we discuss uh, a whole lot about solar, Matthew, or should I call you Mateo? Let's talk a bit about your heritage. Sure. Well, you can call me Mateo if, if you be my bodyguard. We can probably sing that whole song and people might not be listening right. after we're done. It's a classic. Well, t- tell me a little about your background and why you hold a special place in your heart for Latin America. Yeah, sure. Well, my background, I'm, I was born and raised in the eastern suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, um, and so it's about as far away as you can get from Latin America, both culturally and, and distance-wise, maybe. But um, yeah, you know, my family, my family roots come from, from Eastern Europe, from Russia and Poland. And, um, you know, interesting knowing a lot about my family is that those that came over here to the U.S., they had, you know, they had a very much of a pioneering spirit. Uh, very entrepreneurial, had a sense of adventure, but also most importantly, a lot of integrity in what they did. Um, And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I really connect with, with Latin America and the people is that there's a deep, deep passion there. Um, They're, they're adventurous in their, in their spirit, and it's really rooted in family and community. Um, And I really, I really connect to that and appreciate being able to spend time uh, with a culture that that has those sort of values, um, you know. And then the other real connection I had to Latin America was at a young age, being a as we call it here in the U.S. soccer uh, player. Um, <laughs> at, at at that time, you know, the idol of the world was Maradona, mm. and so um, that was really my first connection to Latin America. Mm. Uh, and and now today, I'm a diehard Argentina football fan. Excellent. And did you, uh, have you spent time other than your work, obviously with SEI, have you spent time traveling through the region or or how did you learn Spanish? I actually know that you do speak Spanish, but yeah, I have, um, yeah, I studied of course in high school and things like that. And and when I was in college in Arizona, I spent a lot of time with the language, but my travels, as you probably know, and others, I mean, when you're immersed in, in the culture, that's where you really can can get on with the language. So in my travels to South America, Central America, uh, in the past, prior to my work with SEI, um, that's really where I, I think I engaged the most uh, with, with the language and with the culture. Good deal. Well, you know, Solar Energy International, is, or SEI as we'll call it here on the show, has uh, is a, a bit different from what I would call the typical Suncast guest. And I've had uh, the pleasure of working with SEI in a number of different roles in my career. And most recently, Matthew and his colleagues involved with Latin America have come alongside the Latin America and Caribbean Solar Alliance to champion a number of what we would call benchmarks of uh, a stable solar economy as we move into Latin America. Uh, I would really love it if, Matthew, you could talk a little bit about the... Uh, just the history, a brief overview of SEI, what you guys offer to the world of solar and, uh, and, and just establish sort of the type of business that it is and, and where you guys are taking it. Yeah, sure. Uh, SEI uh, was founded in 1991 here in Colorado, uh, Western Colorado to be exact, uh, the town of Carbondale. 
Um, and you know, the three, the three founders actually were professors in a local community college. And at the time they were teaching about passive solar home design and photovoltaics, things of that nature. And they kind of got a little bit tired of the bureaucracy, I guess, if you will, Mm. of the community college scene then. So they decided, Hey, let's branch out and start a nonprofit. And so in 1991, uh, you know, they became Solar Energy International, actually first the Solar Technology Institute. Mm, The famous STI. STI. And then I think there ended up being some kind of issue because there was another STI in the world (laughs) and almost a lawsuit that that forced forced us to become Solar Energy International, which um, is a wonderful name. Uh, You know, and the mission back then, which still holds true today, uh, but it was a little bit of a different, you know, organization back then was to, you know, empower people on how to live and work with renewable energy systems. And so we've covered the whole gamut from, you know, solar thermal, photovoltaics, wind power, micro hydropower, uh, solar water pumping, sustainable home design and, and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And, and what, what we've done since the beginning is provided, provided training. Uh, to empower people, whether it's to apply it in their own lives, in their own homes, or, you know, to start a business. And uh, in the early days, you know, the the students were uh, a lot of the sort of back to the lander types. Mm, yeah, homesteaders. Uh, homesteaders, folks coming out of college uh, that wanted to apply this in their life. If you could imagine the renewable industry in the U.S. in the early 90s, um, there wasn't much interest in getting a job. Uh, but over the years, as we've seen the industry grow, the demographic of the student has changed tremendously. And as a result, the organization has, you know, in step changed how we innovate the types of uh, curriculum and trainings that we offer so that we could meet the demands of the industry. So today, uh, you know, in 25 years, we've trained over 45,000 people from over 60 countries. That few, huh? Yeah, just just a few. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, you know, kind of a multifaceted approach. We, we have online trainings uh, that we provide. We probably started maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And, and but really where we where we shine is our in-person training, specifically hands-on training. Um, hands-on trainings or sort of hands-on practice of installing system, actually working with the tools and components uh, uh, for the industry. Right. And, and so we, we have a, you know, a wide spectrum of, of training offerings, as, as I mentioned, that, that have evolved over time to match what, what is being demanded by the industry. Mm. You have um, any, I'm curious, do you have any famous alumni? do have famous alumni. You're really going <laughs> to stretch my brain here. Who are famous alumni? Well, we have, the first one that pops to mind is a guy who worked for a famous person. He ended up uh, being a student way back and then installed the PV system on Al Gore's house. Mm-hmm. Um, who else is famous? Oh my gosh. Any sort of, any sort of solar industry leaders, I mean, not like, uh, not, not movie stars, but Anyone like some somebody who became the CTO at Vivint or something like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have so many people who are working in the industry from you know Keiko to Sungevity. Um, there's people in Solar City who have taken our trainings. Um, there's a company in in uh, Boulder, Colorado called Namaste Solar, yeah. and when they first started out, 
I mean, pretty much their entire company was, uh, which is an employee-owned company, really cool model. Uh, entire company was SEI alumni. Right. And, um, and also a f- fairly famous company because they were visited by Obama when he was there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we just got finished with doing um, military trainings. Um, it was a pilot program as part of the Sunshot program, the DOE, mm. where we were training uh, vets who, you know, the uh, servicemen who were leaving the military and, and trying to give them opportunities in, in the renewable sector for, for future jobs. So, you know, the vets in themselves are just famous for their for their work that they've that they've done that, uh, for this for this country. So that's very very cool. And um, I'm curious. I have. Uh, I'm gonna guess that we're gonna have a mixed bag here in terms of uh, whether, if you're listening to this show, you are a uh, an entrenched solar veteran who's been through some similar training, or maybe you've worked at SEI. Shout out to the alumni. But I'm gonna guess that most folks aren't so in tune with sort of the state of the union, as it were, for solar training. And uh, I want to ask you to give me an overview of how uh, of how solar training in particular has been uh, has been approached. And we're going to focus on specifically Latin America, but how you see that it's been approached um, and how you are trying to perhaps mature that segment of the industry in Latin America. And perhaps you'll start out with why fundamentally it's so important that there is the, the notion of a standardized training. Yeah, I mean, that's it's such an important piece for us, obviously, as educators. Um, from our perspective, we see that having a skilled and knowledgeable workforce that could apply the technology um, in, you know, in a correct, efficient, and safe manner is really important, uh, not only for you know, just doing the job right, um, but also, especially like when you look at Latin America or even in the U.S. back you know, a couple decades ago, when, when an industry is just starting up, when it's kind of on the fringe of the awareness of whether it be policymakers or the general population, you kind of want to start from the beginning of giving the industry a good name. And so you want to be able to do things correctly and well um, so that you, know, you don't have... You know, you could imagine what what was going on with uh, all the flack Obama got with with that um, that solar company that uh, they made a deal with that had all these failures uh, with their systems and stuff. Um, you know, you you don't want PV systems catching on fire, if you will, or something going bad that can immediately give a bad image to something uh, that you're trying to ramp up and get started to be more part of the energy matrix in in a country or location. Um, So having a qualified, skilled, knowledgeable workforce uh, is really critical. And, you know, training is very important. You know, one of the things we see in Latin America is that there isn't very much training going on right now, but there is rampant growth in the PV industry on many different levels. And uh, some of our students who have taken classes with us, they go off and they start their own businesses in Latin America, and they get employees and they start ramping up and doing installs. And you and you ask them, you know, well, where where are your workers getting their education and their knowledge? And then they they tell us, well, we're we're just we're just training them on the ground based on what you taught us. Mm. We're just tr- trying as fast as we can to keep up with the work and get people skilled. Um, so whether you're, you know, starting off training on the job, which in many industries that that happens, um, I think there's always a point where you can 
still come back and get more, you know, sort of advanced or continuing education training. And that's why we've innovated in a lot of ways in the types of trainings that we offer. We don't just offer trainings for the entry level person, but we offer more advanced or continuing education type trainings that, um, you know, maybe you're at a point in your career where you want to know that certain skill uh, that'll help you, you know, elevate, grow in the company or make your business more robust and diverse. And so I think training at any level is really valuable to the integrity of your company, your business model. Uh, how you apply that in the field and in creating an industry that is um, strong and uh, you know reliable and respectable. Do you see? Uh, I'm I'm really curious the parallels between how training has evolved as a uh, metric, perhaps in the U.S. and and how we might help to see it grow in Latin America. Perhaps you could comment on what. What's common in the U.S.? I mean, do hiring managers look for NABSEP training or look for an SEI certificate, or how does that work in the U.S.? And how might we think about its application in in other countries? Yeah, I think we've certainly seen seen that evolve. You know, you mentioned NABSEP, and that has become. Oh, and sorry, uh, and let, let me just clarify: the North American Board of Certified Energy Practitioners is often referred to as NABSEP, most often. Right. So, you know, a group of people from the industry came together to try to kind of standardize um, a certifiable solar installer or a salesperson uh, and through a bunch of criteria that kind of helps build, again, that sort of reliable uh, person that you can go to to install your system to hire, you know, for your job. And um, I think more and more you're starting to see companies wanting to have NAPSEP certified uh, people join their employee workforce. Uh, that's that's definitely changed from the early days um, where people were just maybe looking for anyone who has some kind of knowledge or can just be a good hard worker. Uh, but as the industry's grown and has wanted to establish a strong reputation uh, for its future growth, yeah, things like NAPSEP certification, I think, are looked at by employers. Um, I think... One thing that we see in Latin America in our work when we talk to people every day on the phone or through email uh, is that they want to know, will I be certified after this training? Mm-hmm. Certification is is a very large um, part of a very important thing for Latinos we're, we're discovering. And so they, they want to have that certificate, um, not only, I think, to just, you know, use to to go to an employer or if they're going to have their own business to, to, um, to, to do a job somewhere. Um, but you know, I think it's really important, uh, to them from that, that sort of knowledge base of, of gaining, um, that, that sort of degree, if you will, quote unquote, uh, in a certain, certain area, just sort of proves viability. Well, certification is really important. Well, if we look at, Uh, I mean, yeah, just to touch on that point a minute, if we think about the way, the Latino culture, uh, what, the, what, let's look at the values, right? If you have a degree, a college degree, by and large in the workforce, you're referred to as licenciado or licenciada, right? There are certain, uh, sort of paradigms of education where, uh, by which when you enter into the workforce, you are recognized through a title. And so I think that uh, credential in your working environment is, perhaps more important in Latin America, maybe I would state that uh, a different way. 
uh, credential in Latin America is seen as a validator, much so, much more so than I think we use it in the U.S. Would you agree to that? Yeah, I would agree to it. Yeah. It's very, very important. And we've been working really hard in the Spanish program at trying to figure this piece out <laughs> because um, we we know that our students or potential students want that certification model, but we got to get the the countries or the or the locales, whoever it might be, the politicians, the decision makers to recognize a certification system. And many of these countries already have certification programs for different, um, you know, different jobs, you know, whether you're an engineer or, or what it might be. Yeah. Uh, and so I think if we can figure out a way to establish a certification program around renewables um, or PV specifically, uh, it would it would bode really well to making that connection stronger between the need of training and what's actually going on on, on the ground in, in development of PV systems. Okay, so, um, so I need to understand. Yeah. I need to understand this. Um, uh, is this is the suggestion that the regulatory bodies have to uphold a certain standard before? training and certification really has any weight? Uh, well, that's a good question. I, I don't necessarily think that it would have to come first to gain some weight, um, but I think it would really help accelerate the understanding that training is a crucial part to the development of a solar industry in the country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're we're going down to the region trying to understand the best we can about each country's regulations and policies and need for solar training. And we can, you know, go down to a country and offer training and people will see the value in that once the training is happening and conducted. Um, but it's afterwards. It's like where where do you, where do I go afterwards to get a job or how do I, how do I grow in this industry in the country? And I think if there's a certification program coming say from the top or some, mm -hmm. some level, it'll help um, bolster more opportunity for the industry. Has it been used in the U S in the recovery programs to, uh, to, to be statistically show job creation or job growth? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I think it has. I mean, I, I would say, yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know if it's directly been related, but I think what we see um, at SEI is that a lot of people uh, are going for the NAPSEP certification. Mm. We we actually administer the, we're one of the places where you could administer the tests. So the entry level tests that they have, not the official, you know, test where you get certified. But yeah. And um, so after trainings, mm -hmm. we, will, we will offer that test and a lot of people are going for it. So it's helping... I think in, in some ways it is helping drive um, the growth of people in the industry. They see like, oh, there's this certification. I want to be certified. Right. I want to have, quote unquote, that, you know, that degree that we talked about as a value in Latin America. Um, and so it's it's driving the growth of interest in people who are entering the industry for sure. Yeah. I think just for the sake of the unindoctrinated, the NABCEP certification in our industry is at least in the United States the gold standard for an installer's uh, sort of prudential that they understand the electrical and mechanical properties of the system they're installing. And it is something that when I was in uh, the EPC game, I mean, back in the late uh, 2010, 2011 uh, period, we used it as, uh, you know, as a certain uh, identifier when we were talking to potential customers just making sure they understood 
that NABCEP should be, NABCEP certification of the workforce should be considered when they're self-qualifying who they want to work with. Uh, I am curious if, because I I haven't kept in touch with this piece in particular, how much work is NABCEP doing to go international and how many or what other programs are similar to NABCEP? And then along that line, when you answer that, are people from Latin America specifically looking at NABCEP as something they want to adopt or is it something that you guys are, or, or perhaps we as Americans are saying, hey, you should think about doing it this way? Yeah. So, you know, from what we're seeing in Latin America, there really isn't uh, any certification programs that we're aware of. We know that there's a lot of interest, uh, but we're not we're not seeing any movement in that area. Um, you know, the, the first obvious choice might be to, to fast track something like that is, well, who's doing it, you know, already in, in the world per se. And as I mentioned, you know, there are certification programs for other, um, other industries that some countries do have. So there's models in place in terms of how to develop these things and, and implement them, um, that, that we can rely on. Uh, but specific to the PV industry, yeah, I mean, I think NAPSEP has a really good thing that they've that they've developed here for North America, and um, you know, we've we've had some discussions with them to urge them to consider uh, some kind of testing in in Spanish because of the questions that we get from our students right. and potential students. Uh, I'd like to take the NAPSEP test. Well, you know, uh, right now it's not available in Spanish, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you can take, and it's not necessarily recognized in South America or Central America. Uh, so, you know, we continue to monitor this and, and try to have discussions with, with the right players to see if we could advance it. Because as I had mentioned, I think it could be a valuable piece in accelerating um, the, the industry and, and the recognition that, that training is a valuable piece to, to a reliable PV industry. Yeah, so if you work for NABCEP, hire SEI now. Stop messing around. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm we, curious. We have a great relationship with NABCEP over the years. You know, I, I know you do. You guys, are, you guys are one of the qualified partners to, to do ongoing uh, education credits and things like that for NABCEP. It's great. So, um, I, hey, I'm curious what your partnership model is, do you, or if you have one, or how you go about helping proliferate training um, throughout throughout the industry, and, and especially as you move into Latin America. How do you uh, partner when you don't have a facility like uh, like you do there in uh, in Colorado? Yeah, well, you know, our our partnership sort of model has many different aspects to it. I'd say sort of four key aspects. Um, one, one is, is uh, at conferences. Um, we, for many years now, have been providing highly technical, specialized trainings at conferences. For example, at Solar Power International, we're one of the lead technical trainers where we provide uh, you know, trainings at the conference, like whether they're four hours or full day trainings, as well as free technical trainings on the show floor and specialized topics that people might be interested in. Um, for example, we're going to be at the Solar Summit Mexico uh, next week giving a one-day training on best practices for installing grid-type PV systems. Uh, so conferences is one way that we could partner with, with the industry and get out in front of you know, the many thousands of people that attend these things. Um, another area is with industry itself. Uh, right now, we, and over the years, we've probably developed over 100 different partnerships with PV companies 
to provide you know discounted trainings, uh, SEI trainings to their employees because they see the value in um, getting their trainees knowledgeable in in the aspects of designing and installing PV systems. And that could be an actual installer or designer in the company, but also a salesperson. You know, the more they know about how the pieces go together, the better they can be uh, in selling the product or even a technical person. Um, now, just, just to be clear, you guys only do technical training or do you do other sort of, uh, of training, not, not specifically directed towards technical? No, we do technical and, and we have a solar sales and business uh, training um, that helps people understand that aspect of, of the marketplace. Um, so yeah, we, we, we vary it beyond, beyond the technical. Um, gotcha. Did you guys come up with your solar sales and, and, uh, business training to cater to those who were looking for that NAPSEP certification? No, that, that was part of it for sure. And I think it had and other the other impetus because we started it many years ago was when we saw the shift in the interest of people um, as well as, you know, the shift in industry where, you know, it was really ramping up and um, and PV was growing tremendously. And so we felt like having having an aspect in, in our training um, tool belt, if you will, on, on technical sales or, or just sales in general would be important and valuable. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So those industry partnerships are, are really big um, in in helping helping companies grow and and know that they have knowledgeable um, knowledgeable workforce. And you know, to the NAPSEP uh, point that we were talking about earlier is like you might have someone that's in a company for three, four, or five years, and then they decide that you know it's valuable for them to get the NAPSEP certification, so they could take more trainings with SEI to help build that aspect of of um, of getting their NAPSEP certification or keeping their NAPSEP certification because they're required to have continuing education credits. Gotcha. Um, so, so that's really important too. And, and, and then the, the other one that I'll mention that is really important is, is our training facility. You'd mentioned, mentioned that. Um, we have a, a seven acre training facility here in Western Colorado. Uh, and we've worked to build that facility uh, with industry. Uh, so the PV systems that we have there that our students train on is is a wide array of different uh, equipment that is available in the industry. And I think industry sees the value in having their equipment displayed and, and worked on. Um, you know, these are the future uh, potential mm-hmm. buyers of their equipment and users of their equipment. And so the more they can become familiar with it, um, the better it helps those businesses grow in the marketplace. Yeah, I guess that that certainly is a, a sound presumption uh, in for the marketplace, and it's and it's one that I know is uh, common with you guys and with Grid Alternatives and a few others who uh, have those level of energy uh, of industry partnerships. Um, I it's a little, it's a bit like AutoCAD, right? Donating their their product to colleges and engineering schools and training engineers back in the nineties, uh, which became, you know, sort of the gold standard or, or what kids asked for when they came out of college. Right. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious along that line, what are some cool or innovative ways that you've partnered with industry players to bring training into the Latin America region? And I'm curious among those what's working and what wasn't, but perhaps it was a good idea that didn't catch on. Yeah. You know, I think after 25 years of, 
of doing this, we've really learned a system that works and all those things that I just mentioned are um, pieces that we try to bring to Latin America. Uh, so, you know, as I said, Solar Summit Mexico will be down there giving a conference training. Uh, we've done the MIA Green training, which connects to Latin America over the past few years with offering trainings at conferences. Um, but again, it's it's looking at where we might be teaching uh, over the past few years. We've been in Chile and Costa Rica and Colombia. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, who in industry is working in those areas what equipment are they are they providing um and when we're doing these hands-on uh trainings in these countries we try to partner with industry to get their equipment to use uh for these trainings so it's very similar similar models um in chile uh in recent years we've worked with first solar mm-hmm. um and that's been a really cool evolution for us because it started with uh first solar you know when they when they did their luz del norte plant down there um they were looking for an opportunity to um provide some education to local community that was i don't want to say impacted by by the installation but where you know near where the installation was happening and so you know and it's good pr for them and 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 um so we we connected with them to provide training to uh, local high school students who mm-hmm. uh, potentially could join the workforce uh, that is growing obviously there in northern Chile in, in PV development. Um, and so we, we started off doing trainings with First Solar there and that you know allowed us to get on the ground, get recognized uh, by players and decision makers in Chile. And now we're uh, doing a, a program with the Chilean government First Solar is also involved in, in this as well as Axiona. And um, it's a, a series of six trainings uh, to train over 150 uh, chi lands in uh, PV focused on utility-based systems. Uh, because what the government started to recognize is that, you know, there's all this development in PV happening. And uh, many of the people that are part of the workforce are not Chileans. Mm. And, you know, they really would like that opportunity to be provided to Chileans. And what a lot of the companies were saying back was like, well, you don't have any skilled, you know, workforce for us to hire. And so they developed this program uh, to train Chileans in, in, in PV and, and we got, um, we won the bid to, to do that. And so we are kind of smack dab in the middle of that program. We did two training. That's in person. That's in person training. It's in person. They're nine day trainings with a mix of theory, you know, classroom work, and then hands on installation. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, we did two trainings in November, December, and uh, I'm actually going back in a week to start training number three, uh, three through six, which wow. will end at the end of March. Um, and again, there we worked with industry uh, to provide equipment uh, to work in the hands on component of the training, and. Um, I think that's one of the models that we're trying to take to Latin America is what we've learned here in the U.S. Um, we, we see as being successful in, in helping connect with industry and one, recognizing the value in training, but also in helping them get recognized with their equipment uh, for, for the potential future people who might be purchasing or working with it. That's good. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, I can definitely see why at a utility scale, it's very important for there to be hands-on technical training. And I've heard horror stories about uh, the sort of community impact of quite literally international firms that whose names we would recognize flying 
plane loads of pri- like private planes of Bulgarians into Chile to install systems. Right. Uh, and, and just having worker camps, you know, like circa, you know, 1940s style. And, um, I, I would love to see as an industry that we take heart <laughs> this issue that we are impacting countries in, uh, in a pos- in a positive or potentially negative way. And it's incumbent upon us when we're bringing outside funding and outside, uh, technology to leave behind a workforce that's trained in country to manage the the assets that we uh, that we're leaving on site and and that we also are finding uh, sustainable socially equitable ways to invest in those communities instead of just uh, just using their land right yeah this is like one of the the crucial pieces that that we keep in the back of our minds as we develop this program in Latin America because it it's it's so important you know we see ourselves at the end of this funnel you know mm-hmm. all all the developers and and the bankers and all the people who are working on on getting projects to land in in a country uh, once all that happens then then we get to the point where we have to actually implement it we have to put the PV panels, you know, the solar modules up and the racking and the wiring and all that stuff that goes with it. And we need that qualified workforce to do that. Mm -hmm. And if we could work better to have those conversations to find out where the needs are with, with, you know, developers, EPCs and the like um, for training, then we could work better to try to help serve those instead of us kind of trying to do training developers and EPCs trying to install systems and figure out, you know, who, who's going to do it. um, What are the ways we can come together um, to start building those models? I think it's phenomenal that you have these corporate programs. It's not something that I uh, knew very, know very much about with SEI, and uh, I have discussed it at a higher level, sort of inside the the corporate uh, uh, threshold, if you will, to determine whether or not these types of programs uh, are sustainable uh, at a corporate level. I think it'd be a great sales model for you guys. I know Daniel's working on it very hard. Uh, I, I'm also convinced personally that the future of education is not necessarily in person. And I, I just wonder from an educational perspective, certainly you think about this every day, the current trend is very much towards online training. How does that impact your business, expand your business, and then challenge the in-person training aspect? What do you think about sort of the future of learning? Yeah, I mean, it's been amazing for us. I can remember the early days when we started developing our online program as a result of just technology advancing, right? And the way we communicate, and we felt like this is a great thing that we should try to do. And there were really no tools out there uh, back then. We actually developed our online, we built it, we coded it um, ourselves. Hmm. Um, That was quite an interesting thing to observe. Uh, And and so now, obviously, technology has changed so much in the way we communicate online. And for us, it has been huge because, you know, it allows it allows us to reach, obviously, out to a larger audience uh, all over the world. We're getting students um, from Africa, India, you know, you name it, that are taking classes online. Right. And, it's, and it, it's, it's nice because it's mixing now all these cultures and all these people from all over the world who can communicate in online forums. They have a similar passion. 
but they live in a different country and they have different cultural values and all this. Um, and so it, it brings people together that, that way. It's also convenient, right? Um, you don't have to travel uh, to a location to take a training. You could sit in the comfort of your home and do it at, at your pace. You know, the courses are available right. to you 24 hours a day. Um, and there are instructors available for the students to answer questions and help guide you. Are there instructors so, lo- locally or just sort of online instructors? They're online instructors, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and there are usually two instructors per course. I mean, we're getting in our um, in our English courses, we're getting anywhere from 50 to 80 students uh, uh, online course. Per, and, per course or per month? Per, per course. Um, we have uh, – the courses are six weeks long typically. Um, and uh, we're just pretty much rolling – one right after the other, and and there's also many online courses that are overlapping each other because they're sort of a different level or different topic. Right. Um, and you know the other thing that we saw uh, why we wanted to develop it is because hands-on is so important, and we also recognize there's different types of learners. Um, we we saw the online courses as a feeder, so you could take this online course. It's not as expensive for you. Uh, you could take it from your home, and and then that's the sort of entry point for you to then come out to our facility and take the next level course, the hands-on course. And so it worked really well to be a feeder for people. Okay, I'm going to take the theory first online, and now I'm going to come for the hands-on. Yeah, um, that's, that's and I so, think it's great. It's a it's yeah. a it's almost a, it's a gateway for you guys as a lead generating mechanism. And I encourage uh, anyone in the industry at a corporate level to take very seriously. Uh, the impact of online training and the way that you might partner with SEI or, or those like SEI, the online education industry in 2015 was a $50 billion industry. So we're not talking wow. about small, yeah, we're not talking about small change. And uh, you, Matt, Matthew, you know, you know that I'm, uh, I'm a huge advocate of online training and, uh, and uh, courses and uh, just helping our industry achieve uh, a next level, which is why I think that you guys do such a great uh, job at SEI. I, I am encouraged by some of the partnerships I see you guys putting together in Mexico, uh, which may, which will be, I'm sure, uh, revealed in the near future for how to, as a, as a model for how you can roll out training and really get uh, government buy-in at a, and have corporate partnerships that matter. Well, Matthew, I want to move into the segment we call learning, leadership, and legacy. Okay, and great. We'll start, yeah, we'll start with the, with the first question as usual, and I'm, I'm rephrasing it this week. I'm just going to say, to begin with, what's on your nightstand? <laughs> yeah, well, being an avid listener of, of the podcast, I've, I've been thinking about this question, and I have to laugh because I have close to two year stack of national geographics on my nightstand that I've way behind on. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but you know, the, the reason why I like that is because it really connects me to the world. Um, and I love, mm. I love the, the artistry of it, the visual photography and the stories um, are, are really valuable. And so I, for me, I, I, I love staying in touch with culture, with what's going on in the world, both environmental and social. Um, and so that's, that's really um, important for me. Uh, you know, on, on the professional side, of course, you know, listening to this podcast has been extremely valuable and just, just a wonderful, a wonderful bit of, uh, knowledge and, and, and gleaning experiences and, and, and whatnot from people I've really enjoyed listening to. And you've done a fantastic job putting it together. Um, 
of course, as, as yeah. it's been mentioned many times before um, on this podcast, the Latin American Solar Update is a wonderful resource, and it really helps us um, stay in, in in tune with what what's happening in the industry as we look at certain countries that could be um, opportunities for us to provide training. Um, and and with that, you know, staying on top of those policies that are driving the market, um, mm-hmm. it's it's really important. We understand that it's it. It, a lot of this is political, you know, starts with the politics and you got to understand right. the politics of the country, understand the cultural nuances of each country um, before you go work there. Yeah. So, do, you, do you have any particular websites that you that you frequent for that level of policy understanding? <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, I, I lean on my, my colleague, Danielle, for that. Um, ah, th- yeah. That's where... He, he he does a lot of his work, and then we we rap about it a lot. But again, I you know Latin American Solar Update is is one place that I'll I'll check. Um, and um, do you literally what, rap about it? Yeah, we yeah. do. We you get the, we get into other. like a beatboxing kind of chilling. Chilling. This is this is what's happening. All right. So, well, I guess that's a good segue into the next question. What one thing do you consistently do that yields the greatest impact or results in your personal or professional life? Hmm. The one thing, having a sense of humor, I would say, is is a big ah, piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so your sense of sense of humor is uh, this uh, humor and is the spice of life. How do you cultivate that? Well, I actually. And on on the side, when I have time in my life, I have a, a podcast of my own. It's an improv comedy podcast with a no way a friend here. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I, I caution listeners to check it out. It's, it's, we call it sick and twisted improv. So it really gives you an inside look at maybe the other side of me, but unfiltered, um, <laughs> unfiltered for sure. Yeah, uh, but it's it's a lot of fun. You know, I I've always been a ham ever since I was a little kid, and uh, I, yeah, I never you're more really like f- the whole hog. <laughs> for those of you who don't know i mean look up a picture of matthew or find him at the next solar show he uh is a he's always the guy he's always standing out from the crowd he has a handlebar mustache and uh, most often and uh is is just a truly humorous person to be around and so i'll i'll advocate that and for sure have matthew and your group of friends to go out with at the next solar event <laughs> hey i'm curious really just uh, for my own personal here's satisfy my own curiosity how do you get ready for an improv show or your podcast are there sort of is there sort of a uh a, a, an activity or a practice that you do yeah i mean you know on on radio if you will a recording is a little different than when you're on stage but um it's kind of the same in some ways i mean we'll we'll get in the studio and we might look at each other and say well what do you want to what do you want to do what do you want to talk about and um and usually we don't have any idea which is part of the the idea of improv it's not supposed to be scripted uh but we might throw out just a word um and and start riffing on it, whatever comes to mind, just to uh-huh. kind of warm up. So if or, I so if I said uh, water bottle, water bottle, that's two words. Sorry. No, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it doesn't matter. It could be a phrase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a- have you heard the news that the uh, the the water crisis in Flint? They're shipping water bottles by the by the tons just to get them clean drinking water. It's it's un- unbelievable. Do you, do you have any ideas of how we could help out? And then I and then I respond with an answer. Yeah, I mean the the 
the premise of improv is is this idea of yes and so you're you're giving a gift i gave you a gift of like you, know, you have any idea of how you could respond and, and you you're need so to, giving i love it man yeah you need to respond with you know yes and because you need to you know add on to it uh, okay so um, so you just said the water ball thing yes and I was just talking with a friend about the crisis in California. It's unreal. The water levels are so low in all the reservoirs. There are fish literally laying along the sides of these uh, of these reservoirs. And, you know, you just walk up and, and grab them with whatever implement you would otherwise fish with. Have you heard about this new fishing method? I have heard about it. And I, and I heard about this, this guy who is driving there from Nebraska with a water truck. And he's just filling up these dry lake beds full of water so those fish can get life again. I think it's very heroic. I, I wonder if, you know, we could think of something that we could invent to do. And isn't it true that he's actually got an, an apparatus that captures the fog and the airborne water to fill his truck? He does. It's really cool. He's got this like fuel cell like filter inside of it that captures that fog and turns it into water. And not only is he creating water, but he's generating electricity to keep the lights on at night. It's unbelievable. So I could totally see how, as a salesperson, being in the improv world would just turn your neurons on. I mean, have you firing every... Because there's so many times where I sit in front of a client or in front of a, of a regional partner and you need uh, you have to move the conversation along. Right. This is a really creative way. To, to make sure that you're pra you're stretching that idea muscle, as James Altucher would say. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, improv, right, is is kind of, it can be funny and goofy and you don't know where it's going to go, what's going to come out of one's mind or mouth. But actually, a lot of the core principles of improv, I think, are valuable for life. Um, you know, listening is the other piece. You got to listen to what the other person is saying. Mm -hmm. and you know process it and then as i said give give gifts and always be saying yes and you know trying to to add upon that and be creative right. instead of instead of shutting people down and, and being and being negative by saying no and so i think whether you're in relationship uh with with a loved one or a friend or or business i think there's some interesting um values within improv principles that i certainly learned a lot about by going through the process of being an improv comedian that that i take with me in my life well that's that's quite a gift that you've shared with our community today matthew i really appreciate that and uh i certainly am walking away from this with a, a different understanding about improv thank you for for sharing that with us <laughs> yeah well, I am curious, uh, what's on the horizon for you uh, with SEI? What are you guys working on next? I know you, we, we mentioned a little in the preamble something about uh, a TEDx. Maybe uh, you feel free to share that or, or whatever else is on your mind. Yeah, you know, with SEI in the Spanish program, we're looking at this year as a year to really build up uh, the capacity of the program. The The amount of interest that we have for training is well beyond the capacity we have to serve it. And so we're looking at um, we're looking at finding uh, those those technically apt apt people that can that can be instructors for us people who have experience in the industry that that have a passion for sharing knowledge that want to teach uh, in latin america well how, how would someone find out more about that and where could they how they reach out to get more knowledge yeah you know they could contact me uh just email me matthew with two t's 
at solarenergy.org. And uh, we currently have have sort of a program and a process in place for um, talking to people and putting them through uh, to become an instructor with us. Um, okay. And, and are you, Matthew, I know that SEI is on Twitter. I often uh, retweet your stuff. Are you personally on Twitter? Uh, you know, I'm not. The only other way I'm on Twitter is through the Improv Comedy yeah. Podcast. So it's SEI, you know, Solar Energy, I-N-T-L is our Twitter handle. Okay, um, at Solar Energy, I-N-T-L. Yeah. Well, let's end today, as usual, with a bold prediction, Matthew. You should be prepared for this because you're a faithful listener. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? I, I, I have been thinking about it. I couldn't find my crystal ball, but, you know... <laughs> I was thinking about as somebody who's who's paid attention to the climate movement over many many years. Um, I think that this year is going to be kind of a let's say a watershed year when it comes to the development of of renewable energy or sustainable energy in the world, and I think it it's going to be accelerated by by the Paris Climate Accord. Mm. I, th- I think it's, it may not feel that way because of the 20 some years of, of negotiations that have really felt like they haven't gone anywhere backwards, if anything, but I actually feel like it's going to be a huge motivating factor for not only individuals, but also, um, you know, industry, the utility sector, et cetera. Um, I mean, we're really, I think, finally tapping into a global consciousness around this issue. Uh, I'm not suggesting it's going to solve climate change issues that we might see in the future, but I think it's a finally a wake-up call um, to really accelerating the industry, especially in places like Latin America. Mm. Um, and and I think governments, policymakers, decision makers are going to start ramping up and waking up to the fact that now is the time to act. Well, if and when that prediction comes true, folks, you'll hear it first here on Suncast. My guest today is Matthew Harris from Solar Energy International. My friend, it has been a true pleasure having you on the show. It sure has been a pleasure, Nico. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Yeah, man. Well, we'll see you at the next solar show, eh? Yeah, we will. Um, we certainly will. <laughs> Maybe we'll do some improv comedy. Who knows? We, we will have to do that. We'll do a little uh, a demonstration. All right, brother. Have a great day. You do the same. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.